welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around the country and in the Baton Rouge area as well. Sure, get a different perspective on what's going on around the country because things that happen up north don't happen in the south and vice versa. Things that happen down here don't happen in the north. So <laughs> That's right. They don't, they don't get mud in their wheels as much mm-hmm. as we do. <laughs> and we don't get rust all over our stuff. There you go. So, there you go. Lots of differences between the different areas of the country. I go on a forum called IATN, uh-huh. International Auto Technicians Network, and these are guys from all over the country and really all over the world. And it's interesting to hear them speak about the types of repairs they make and all. Sure. By and large, a lot of it is the same, but there's peculiarities in each different area. You know? Right. Like you are saying up north, you get the rust on the vehicles. Mm-hmm. When the rust starts in on one, man, it is just nothing you can do with it. you got to start right. replacing parts. Well, and that's why a lot of those folks do not keep cars a long time like we typically do in the South. Uh-huh. It's not unusual at all to see a 10-year-old car in the South. Sure. Be a, a 2005 is not considered really an old car. No, there. it's not. 15 years, 20 years even, we'll see very frequently we still have 95 mile cars coming in we do fairly regular basis but you don't really see that nearly as much in the north just because of the road salts and stuff tend to corrode the body away and once the body starts to get corroded away and the brake lines are eaten away and right there's no stopping it once it gets started apart yeah it's just really not hardly worth fixing anymore so they just don't seem to have quite as many older cars and with older cars you start to see things that you don't see on newer, newer cars, lower mileage cars. For uh-huh. instance, you may get a brake service in. A person comes in for brakes on their car, and let's say they've got 250,000 miles in this car. Okay. You may find things wrong that they have never heard of before. For instance, a worn-out backing plate mm-hmm. on the rear we brakes. We see that. Yeah, and the rear brakes are locking up inadvertently. They don't know why, and they've changed the shoes and they've changed this and they've changed that but it never occurred to them the backing plate would wear out and it's because they never saw that before but they never had a car with two hundred fifty thousand miles before exactly <laughs> it, the way that works the shoe actually rubs on a raised part of the, the backing plate mm-hmm. and there's supposed to be a grease compound that lets the shoes move back and forth like they should easily mm-hmm. and what happens that grease wears out and the two there's two pieces of metal rubbing together now and one wears into the other one and when you change the shoes you change one half of that right so a lot of people do not realize that that pad gets worn down and it will actually catch a new shoe in that groove and all of a sudden it'll pop out instead of sliding out slowly like it's supposed to right then it also changes the angle at which the shoes sit on the backing plate a lot of times we'll find actually bent backing plates. Yes. Over the years, all the different services, maybe the drum was stuck, somebody stuck a pry bar Start pry on, on it, it, bent the backing plate, and mm-hmm. now the shoes are wearing irregularly. They're wearing out too fast. They're grabbing. They're chattering. They're grinding or groaning when you back up. All these sorts of things. And it goes to, I guess you never really saw this on the lower mileage vehicles. It just didn't have time to manifest like it sure. does now. And that's just one thing, but there's many, many, many others that we come across on older cars. And I thought we'd kind of talk a little bit about the difference in servicing an older car as opposed to servicing a newer car. Okay. And there are things that they both have in common. Clearly, either one will benefit from preventive maintenance and all that. But when you keep a car a long, long time, a few things that kind of flies in the face of what people actually do and what they should be doing. That is, when a car starts to get older, 
it's a natural tendency to maybe not take quite as good a care of it. Right. Maybe not use quite a quality of part right. for replacements mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Yeah, and of course the excuse is all oh, well, it's an old car. So right. <laughs> I'm gonna put a cheap battery in it and I'm gonna put a cheap set of tires on it and I'm not gonna do this and I'm gonna do this. But that is exactly the opposite of what you need to be doing. Because just like a young person can put up with a lot more abuse Uh a guy 20 years old can go out and ride a wild bull and get thrown on the ground and he'll get a little bruised up but a week later he's walking around he's fine sure he can shake it off and move on but a guy 60 years old gets thrown off the same bull at very least he's gonna be hospitalized (laughs) (laughs) he may not ever be the same exactly and it's sort of the same thing with an older car as a car's age they need better care than newer cars do Mm -hmm. they need more frequent oil changes because not only do you have all the factors that you had before, but now you've got maybe a set of head gaskets that are leaking just a tad, so we get a little glycol in that oil. Have a set of intake gaskets maybe just seeping a little bit. Doesn't mean that car won't go another 100,000 miles, but it does mean it needs a little better care than it did before. You can't push those oil changes out as far. Mm-hmm. So one of the things on an older car is you're going to need probably more frequent oil changes than you do on a newer car. Another thing is you get more blow-by past the rings just because they're worn, and so you start to get more carbon and stuff in all, so you start to get more buildups. A lot of times, maybe the cooling system doesn't work as well because the radiator is slightly restricted, the hoses right. are slightly restricted, There's uh, the engine bit block of trash. may have a lot of sludge buildup in it and all that, so it may not cool quite the same as it did before. Just for all these reasons, it's going to require better care. Now, when we're talking about the cooling system, that's another example. On a brand-new car with long-life coolant, you can generally go five years before your first coolant change. Sure. Because when they assembled that car, every single component was new. And clean. A new radiator. It was new hoses. It was a new heater core. It was a new engine block, new cylinder heads, everything. The water pump was new. Everything was brand-new. The brand-new coolant, which was mixed exactly right, was put into it. Mm -hmm. And, yes, that can go five years. However, when you come in your first change at five years, now you've got an engine that is partially clean, but not like a new one. You've got a radiator that is partially clean, but not like a new one. You've got hoses. You've got all these things that, while it's not necessary to replace them, they just don't work exactly like a new one did. There's a certain amount of contamination that's going to stay behind, no matter how good a job you do. You just can't get every bit of it out. So now we have to revert to three-year changes. And on very high mileage cars, and there's when you start getting up to around 200,000 miles, you might want to consider two-year changes. And it depends on how well you've taken care of it before then. That's right. Because if you've let the coolant go, Mm -hmm. and it's gotten contaminated, and the pH is real low in it, and it started having a problem, you're not going to get 100% of that coolant out like you had with a new vehicle. Because a new vehicle was fresh, everything was clean. Right. When they put it in there, they got it all perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. And they use new coolant. That's right. They got everything was new at one time. The old coolant, and we, some of it stays behind. Yeah, you can't ever get 100% because some of it's in the bottom of the engine block. Some of it's soaked into the metal. So you can get a lot of it, but you can't get all of it. So, hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. On Route 66. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! 
Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, and we'd be glad to try to entertain any questions you might have. Go ahead and give us calls, 291-6901. That's right. And we're sitting here just ready and waiting. <laughs> That's right. And, of course, now is the best time to call in because we've got all our lines open, and we can get you called and spend some time with you and answer your question completely. Now, later in the show, sometimes we get stacked up. Sometimes we run out of time and mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Of course, I think next week is going to be Easter weekend. It is. So we'll have a recorded show for you. So if you want a live answer, That's now's right. the time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this would be the time to call in and see. I believe we got our first caller there. we got Jim online. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Lewis. How are you? Doing great, sir. I'm up here right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, I listen great. to your show on the podcast. Well, good. Appreciate it. Yeah, great show. Very informative. Well, very thank professional. You. Thank you. Um, I got a 2004 Ford Explorer. Sport Track Edition? Yes, sir. Now, actually, it's Noah 3. Sorry about mm-hmm. that. It's got the 4.0 single overhead cam V6 motor. Mm-hmm. And now, this car has 250,000 miles on it. Okay. And it just started acting up under a load. Say, like, you're trying to climb the hill and then give it some gas. It uh-huh. kind of fucks back at you. Okay. No check engine light, but when I put my scanner on it, there was something in there about a O2 sensor being yeah. stuck yeah lean or biased yeah something like yeah that. And, and that's not an oxygen sensor code jim i'm gonna tell you the the most common causes of that number one would be a plugged fuel filter and what will happen see a plugged fuel filter will allow a certain amount of fuel to get through but not enough under load because under load is going to be your maximum amount of fuel you need now when it starts to buck and miss the reason it's doing that because the engine is leaning out what the oxygen sensor is trying to tell you is hey the engine is leaning out so what you don't want to ever do is what a lot of people do. They see an auction sensor problem, well, they go change the sensor. Well, no, it's just trying to tell you there's another condition existing, you see. But the, a plugged fuel filter would be number one. Now, number two beyond that would be a fuel pump that's starting to lose capacity. 250,000 miles, pump could be getting pretty tired. And even though it has a non-restricted filter, it may not be able to keep up under load. Number three would be the fuel pump module, which is an electrical module on that vehicle that controls the speed of the fuel pump. And the way you could best go about doing that, Jim, is to put a fuel pressure gauge on the vehicle and go drive it on a hill or on an incline and see if the fuel pressure starts to drop off. But if the fuel okay. if the fuel filter has not been replaced recently, that's easy to do. It's inexpensive. You could probably do it yourself. I would certainly start with that because even if the fuel pump's bad, you're still going to have to change the fuel filter. So you're not going to lose anything at all by doing that. In fact, that would be che- so, cheaper than doing a fuel pressure test. So, you know, you're thinking it's more on the fuel side. My mechanic was thinking that maybe the catalyst converters were plugged up. 
Well, and that the exhaust couldn't escape or something, well, but he wanted to that's, do all the cats, and that was pretty expensive. Yeah, 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 and see, that would almost always set a cat efficiency code, PO420 or something like that, and that would also not be dependent on going up a hill. That would be the further you drove the vehicle because exhaust gas starts to build up when you start to drive. The further <laughs> you drive, whether you're on a hill or not, it's going to build up more and more and more, and it's going to at some point start to restrict where you can't get it out. Now, that's a very, very simple test. All you have to do is remove one of the oxygen sensors, screw a little gauge, in, and measure the back pressure. At 2,000 RPM, you need less than about two to four pounds of back pressure on that engine. If you got any more than that, then you can start looking at that sort of a thing. But it just doesn't sound from what you're telling me like that would be my first thing. I would check fuel pressure first because that's a cl- classic fuel pressure problem, Yeah, especially if it only does it under a load like going up a hill. There's, if you yeah, could, or you if you're you just for, getting on it. Yeah, if you could drive it for two hours on flat ground and it doesn't act up, then a converter is very unlikely. But as soon yeah, as you get a hill. when you get on it, so you're trying to merge on the highway and you really get right, on it. Right. That, bop, 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 well, bop, that's bop. when you need more fuel. You see, idling, you don't need that much, and cruising along, you don't need that much. When you chow down into it and you want to start making power, that's when you need more fuel pressure. And you can watch that fuel pressure gauge. If the fuel pressure drops off, then you're into a fuel system. If it doesn't, yeah. then you might be in, into an <laughs> ignition problem. Right. You could also Ooh. be that, something like a weak call or something right. can cause that kind of thing. So lots of things, but uh. one very simple test right. can tell you right where to go so it's not a matter of guessing you just put a fuel pressure gauge on it even if you have to pay somebody to do that test that's going to take less than 15 minutes to do and i mean even mm-hmm. let's say the guy charge a hundred dollars an hour 15 minutes you talk 25 bucks and you can eliminate half the possibilities right there so yeah what you always want is someone says well we're going to check this and then but based on what we find with this we're going to go to this not well we're going to change this and see what happens See, yeah. Well, that sounds like a good. That sounds like a good. Yeah, yeah. And if you're fairly handy, Jim, you might just want to run down, pick up a fuel filter, and change the fuel filter, and see if that doesn't do it by itself. Because, like I said, that would be even less expensive than a fuel pressure test, right? Some of those filters, and probably needs doing doing anyway. Some of those filters, you actually have to have a special tool to take off. But it's it's cheap. But it, yeah, you can get the tool and the filter for almost nothing to, to yeah. do it. Filters probably fifteen bucks. Uh, tools probably ten bucks, maybe. Yeah. Hmm, take, sounds take, like I might change in the fuel filter this weekend. I would certainly I would start with that because that's a classic symptom of a plug fuel filter, that missing on an incline and under heavy acceleration and running okay the rest of the time and not setting a, a And pulling out a lean code now. Uh-huh. Kind of, right. Now, see, on a Ford, too, what you can do, you can look at what they call fuel trim, and you can actually look at short-term and long-term fuel trim. And you could plug a scan tool in, go drive it, accelerate. If you see the short-term fuel trim starting to climb, that means the engine is increasing the pulse width on the injectors because it's running out of gas. So, I mean, that's real, real simple stuff to diagnose. If it's a plug converter, then it's not going to add fuel. So that's pretty simple. And like I said, the oxygen sensor code just kind of gives it away. The sensors are telling you, hey, it's getting too lean here because it's running out of fuel. All right. Well, I think I, I got my hands full this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to keep you I'll out of trouble. Send, I'll, send you all, I'll send you all a message and let you know how it goes. Well, good deal. All right. Well, thank you, Lewis. All right, Jim. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, whether you're in Boston or in Baton Rouge, you can call. We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we see that an awful lot of times where folks will say, well, maybe it's this and maybe, well, yeah, maybe it's all kinds of stuff. Sure. And maybe it is a converter's plugging up. But normally with a converter plugging up, what's going to happen, the longer you drive the car, 
there's when you first get in it, you take off, it's going to be okay. Sure. Then after maybe five minutes of driving, it'll start kind of bogging down. And in 10 minutes, it'll get worse. In 30 minutes, it'll get worse. The further you drive it, the more the back pressure builds. So it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's not dependent on load. It's just more dependent on time. And it's also not going to add more fuel. In fact, if anything, it it's may start subtracting fuel. Correct. Because the fuel that is trying to be exhausted can't exhaust. And so it's going to actually make the oxygen sensors think it's more oxygen and exhaust, which is going to lean the engine back and start subtracting fuel rather than adding fuel. If it's running out of fuel, it's going to start adding fuel. Right. It's going to try to cover it up. Try to cover it because the computer is trying to compensate for it. So. I mean, I'm not saying that couldn't be it. There's lots of things, but just because something is possible doesn't mean it's likely. Right, and you run a, a series of tests to determine what system you need to start looking at. Right, and you always start out with your simplest test first. Easiest one. Yeah, easy, less expensive tests that give you the most information. Right. And then that test will tell you where to go from there. You wouldn't start out scoping the ignition because that could take a lot of time. You sure. wouldn't start out doing a compression test on the motor because that takes a good deal of time. But a fuel pressure test almost is almost nothing because oh, I think every car now has a port right. where you can screw a gauge in right on top of the engine somewhere on the fuel rail. You can watch that pressure, compare it to the spec that it's supposed to be, and well, bam, if it's its spec, then you can forget about the fuel system. Yeah, you can eliminate almost 50% of the possibilities right there with one simple test. So I always want to start out with something like that. Right. Let's go back to our phone lines with Robert. Good morning, Robert. Morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got a question about a 95 Ford F-150. Okay. The gas tank. My cousin here, he took it out. He's changing the fuel pump telling me how easy it was to get it out and he can't figure out how to get the tank back in so we're in the car can i hang up and we listen on the radio and you tell us how to do this great show all right yeah sure yeah basically it just goes back in exactly like it came out just the reverse of just how it reverse came out of the procedure now you got to remember when you're coming down it comes down pretty easy because the weight is working in your favor mm -hmm. it's kind of like in the military say take the high ground right you want the enemy hauling their stuff up that hill and not down the hill. <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's a lot easier to shoot down at people than it is to shoot up at people same thing with that it gets a lot more difficult when you start lifting that weight up but what you're going to need to do the job properly is some way to support the weight of that tank if you're laying on your back trying to push it up by hand you're probably not gonna be able to get it done right you actually need a, a like a floor jack floor with, jack a, with a, a fixture wood. or something like a, something to spread the load out from the center to support that tank and then you can kind of walk use that jack to ease it up in there right. and then when that tank came out it's very possible that it pulled off of a strap or something and the strap fell down right so when you go back you got to make sure everything that fell down got put back up so the tank will go back in the right position right last thing is where the neck attacks to the tank that rubber neck where you took it loose from the tank if that's laying up on top of the tank some kind of way or some of the hoses are bundled up it may not go back up into position now i can tell you a uh, robert worst case scenario if you just can't get it done you might think about pull the bed off the truck uh-huh not that difficult i know it sounds kind of gruesome but it's what six or eight bolts six or eight bolts a couple and, of wiring harnesses in the filler neck and three friends and yourself cause right they take oh, at least it, four guys. Heavy. yeah a couple of cases of beer maybe to just <laughs> get them to do it for you but if you pick the bed up move it back and set it back on the frame out where you can get to it from the top now one guy can reach up kind of guide the tank in and maybe one guy can get under it or jack under it and that right so that worst case scenario you may need to do something like that make sure all your straps and stuff are in place and didn't get on top of the tank or get on the side of the tank and try to block you and also you got to watch sometimes the exhaust will get in your way but between all of that i think you'll get that job done without uh, any problem it shouldn't be any more difficult or 
little bit more difficult to, to get go back, back in off. right than yeah. coming out yeah and another little tip robert is when you take that big neck that big nut off the top of the tank to get the fuel pump out be extremely extremely careful with that we've got actually a series of special tools that unscrew those what the do-it-yourselfer normally wants to do is take a screwdriver and a hammer and beat that off if you dent or bend or warp that fitting at all either the nut that holds it down or the tank itself it's going to start to leak and you can start throwing a check engine light and check engine code will be like an evap code like a 450 series codes somewhere and it has to be able to hold two inches of vacuum for two minutes which is almost no leak at all so if you get the least little bit rough with that big gland nut uh-huh. or the, tank, the gasket or the gasket there's an o-ring gasket that goes in there also or some of the fords actually have a collar a rubber collar if you'll take some silicone grease and just kind of get it around there where the seal will move easily slide in that stuff will go back together a whole lot easier than it would if you didn't put anything at all on it that's right and another last little tip is that you want to put a new o-ring sometimes the motorcraft pumps come with the o-ring sometimes Sometimes they they don't don't. right (laughs) and a lot of times when they don't it's very very tempting to just put the old one back in i know it looks fine i know it looks like it's going to work and all that kind of stuff but very, very often when you do that, next thing, check engine light pops on. And you got to drop it all the way back out and redo the entire job. Right. And those gaskets can be kind of expensive. The ones that don't come with, they can be up to about $20 for that sure. O-ring. So, sure. But you definitely have to change the O-ring each and every time. I hope that answers your question. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. Please join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tweet to us. We're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And should you happen not to get us on the air today, and we're going to have a recording next weekend for Easter, so right. if you need an answer between now and two weeks from now, <laughs> you can always go to our website and... Send us a question that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. And only way it could be any easier is Lewis to come over and answer it in person. (laughs) Yeah, and that probably ain't going to (laughs) happen. You want a personal answer, right now is the time. Now is the time. That's right. Get email from all over the world. I got one uh, the other day from Rhodesia. Wow! I think that's the first one I ever got from Rhodesia. But yeah, fell had some. Yeah, they got cars there. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> that's where all the chrome comes from. Is Rhodesia? Oh, yes, yep. that's right. Yep, they mine all the chrome in that area. In that world. area, yeah. right? 
But, yeah, you just send us an email. Be glad to get an answer right back to you. Normally, you'll get that back within a couple of hours. Sometimes, absolute worst-case scenario, it might be up to 24 hours. That just depends on when you send it. When you send it, where I happen to be at the time. But most time, during the week, I'm working on the computer. And, like, during the day, I stop several times, check emails, uh-huh. just so I can get an answer back to you pretty quick. And so what you don't want to do is call the shop and expect me to come to the phone and answer or chit-chat and answer questions because I just can't do it. 100% of my time goes to the phone folks who have their cars in the shop because they are paying my salary and i have to give them 100 of my time because i just have so much and the difference between a phone call and emails email i can get to it when i have a break whereas a phone call has to be done right then and there exactly and i'm in the middle of writing estimates i may have five estimates in front of me i'm trying to look up parts i'm trying to concentrate on getting this completely done right the first time and trying to call the customer, explain to them so that they understand exactly what I'm saying. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have to speak with the wife and then speak with the husband. And I have to coordinate parts coming in. I have to coordinate having manpower to do it, come up with a exact delivery time. All these things are going on, and I just can't stop and think about something else in uh-huh. the middle of all that because it just breaks up my entire train of thought. So that's why we've got the contact form on the website don't mind that at all that's why we do a radio show saturday morning in case you need a live answer you just don't have a computer that you want to go to or you exactly. don't like doing that so those are the two options be glad to get you a free answer and give you some advice point you in the right direction but please don't give me a call at work just to chit chat now ladies and answer the, the phones at work are both very well trained they can answer any question about getting your car in mm-hmm. how long is it going to take when you can look at it they can even tell you what it's going to cost because the answer is going to be the same bringing in we're going to look at it <laughs> <laughs> so they can answer that question as well so there's not anything i can answer without seeing the car that right. they can't answer but if you want to chat or if you want a question about something in particular just send me an email i'll be glad to get it back to you or call us on the radio show that's right and that's the way we do that <laughs> there you go we were talking before the phone calls about older car maintenance and older Uh car repair and how it varies from newer cars and there are obviously a lot of things that are similar in other words every car can benefit from having the coolant replaced on a regular basis every car can benefit from a transmission fluid exchange filter change every car can benefit from having the spark plugs replaced when they're worn out and that sort of thing a good set of tires Mm -hmm. i mean we could just go on and on and on and on but now on an older car Things are more critical. For instance, you mentioned tires, and that is one of those things we see all of the time. People come in with an older car with massive suspension problems. Mm -hmm. And the reason being, they reason in their mind, well, this is an old car. I really don't want to spend $800 for a good set of tires. So I'll go spend $400 for a cheap set of tires. Okay. Well, now they got a set of junk tires that are probably not round, and the guys who sell those kind of tires generally aren't qualified to put them on the rim right, not balance them right. So now they got some shaking and shimmying going on, and you've already got components that have a lot of miles on them. Sure, they're worn. They're worn some. They're not as tough as they were before. Maybe the dust boots have started to deteriorate, and they're getting a little moisture in them and all that. They could have gone maybe another 100,000 miles without sure. a problem. However, we put a cheap set of tires on. We saved $400 on a set of tires, but we tore up $2,000 worth of front end parts. Exactly. So we didn't save anything at all. We actually spent a whole, whole lot more money. Than needed to be. Than needed at the time. to be done. Because the old shocks, the old tie rods, the old rack and pinion, although it was old, although it had a lot of miles, could possibly have gone hundreds of thousands more miles had it had a good set of tires a on there. A good set of round tires on Not beating the snot out of it 
the whole time you're going down the road. So the point is an older vehicle is going to require better care. It requires better parts. Another thing, I've seen people go and buy a cheap battery and mm-hmm. put it into an old, well, it's an old car. I'm not going to spend $85 for a good battery. I'm going to go buy a $30 battery. Right. Well, now the cheap battery leaks. The acid runs down and Eats gets the- on air conditioning lines, which is aluminum. So as soon as it hits that line, it's pretty much through it. Oh, now yeah. we've got, number one, an air conditioner doesn't work. Plus, we've got a contaminated system because we've got battery acid in it, which was never designed to be in there. Maybe it runs down and gets on the wiring harness, eats the wiring harness up, may even drip on the brake lines, make you lose your brakes. Right. It could drip on the transmission. Not to mention it's running down the frame rail, which is steel, right. and acid eats steel all up, so before long the whole side of the car is rusted out. That's right, and the point is every bit of this was preventable Sure, just by Spending. maintaining the car just like you would your new car, mm-hmm. and if anything, maybe just slightly better than you would your new car. It's sort of like I tell people all the time, you know, I'm in my 60s now. I can still do almost everything I could do when I was 20, but I have to do it in moderation, right. and I have to take a little better care of myself. I have to watch my diet way closer now. In other words, I can't go eat a pepperoni pizza at 10 o'clock at night and then go to bed because <laughs> I'm going to prop you up all night. Not like you used to. That's right. When I was 20 years old, thought nothing of that. Exactly. And I can't stay up real late at night two or three nights in a row like i could when i was younger mm-hmm. get up and go to work because i'm just not as resilient as i was at that time doesn't mean i won't live a lot longer hopefully so and doesn't mean i can't have a great quality of life hopefully so but i do have to take a little better care and same thing with your car sure as it gets older it requires better care it requires better parts it requires more frequent maintenance not less so you can't say well you know it's no car so i just i won't I'll let it go yeah, yeah. let this go i'll let that go more frequent oil changes, more frequent coolant system changes. Mm-hmm. You may even need to replace your spark plugs more frequently. The reason being, on an older car, like I said, the piston rings are worn some. The sure. valve guides are worn some. They could get more deposits on them. Those plugs are going to get fouled faster than they would on a new car. Mm-hmm. So doesn't mean the car is not perfectly usable and operable as it is. It just is going to require a little bit more accelerated maintenance schedule on it. Now, what can happen a lot of times is, let's say, maybe we've got 80,000, 90,000 miles. We get a couple fouled plugs in the car, and we decide, well, it's an old car. I'll just keep on driving it. In other words, we're going to put off the repair, which is probably the worst possible thing we can do. Because now we get a plug misfiring. Now, every time this spark plug misfires, and it's firing two to 3,000 times a minute. Sure. Every time it misfires, that charge of gas that was sprayed in that combustion chamber does not burn. Correct. What it does is the exhaust valve opens, it goes out the exhaust. Now, we've got a catalytic converter sitting here that's got 100,000, 150,000 miles on it, so it's still working fine, still doing its job, but it's not quite as strong or as resilient as it was when it was new. And it's running maybe 1,200 degrees in temperature burning up exhaust fumes. Well, we shoot a shot of gas and gasoline in there. Well, what happens to that temperature? It is going to skyrocket. Sure. It may jump up to 2,000 degrees, and that's going to melt the ceramic. It's going to damage it. Well, now the check engine light pops on, and we've got not only the original problem, which was a foul spark plug, but now we've got the added problem of a bad catalytic converter. Well, you could have took a $150, $200 spark plug change right, and turned it into a $1,200, $1,500 repair easily just to get the car inspected. Right, because what folks will do is – It'll start to misfire. Check engine light pops on. Well, it's an old car. Just keep driving it. Well, now they go get an inspection sticker. Well, it fails inspection. Sure. Well, now they got to get it fixed. 
and you go in and you do the original problem. Let's say it was a bad call, bad ignition call, bad spark plug wire. Right. You change the plug wire. Okay, well, now it's not missing anymore. They drive it for a week. Wham, light pops back on. Now it's got a catalytic converter code. And the first thing, why did that happen? Well, it happened because you neglected that misfire that was going on for the last month or two months or three months or whatever it might have been. And so now it's turned into a bigger problem. And the worst part about that is most people run down to the parts house and buy a converter off the shelf, right. put on it, and expect it to perform right. like a factory converter will. Which it normally won't. Many times it won't even pass the test, pass the emissions test right from the beginning. Even sure. you, it won't. So you wasted that money. You still got to get it fixed. Exactly. If you went to a muffler shop and they cut the pipes and welded that in. So now you got now you don't have a pipe to bolt the original one to. So now you got to go back and change the A pipe and the B pipe. Uh-huh. So it can just get worse and worse and worse. Another example of things we see is a guy may go down and let's say his starter goes out on his high mileage car. Okay. And he's tempted. He says, well, you know, this OEM starter is $300 and I can get this cheap rebuilt one for $89. Okay. What's the harm? It's just a starter. So he gets a starter. He puts it in. It makes kind of a funny noise starting, but it starts the car. So he takes off and he's going good. Well, about two, three, four weeks out, he hits the key and just loud grinding noise. Right. Well, what happened is that cheap starter was not properly Made. operating. Maybe the Bendix didn't withdraw from the flywheel fully. Now it's chewed up the flywheel. Now the transmission has to come out of the car to replace the flywheel. Correct. Now he saved $200 on a starter, but he's, he's going to spend $1,000 to replace a flywheel. Plus he's stranded. Plus, it's torn all the stuff up. Plus, you got to put another starter on it. Another starter. You still got to put a good starter on it. Right. And you may not have a core to trade in because they may not accept that old cheap rebuilt starter. We see, we see that a, a lot. Right. So now you pop another hundred bucks on there for a core that you don't have to turn in. Mm-hmm. And it can just get worse and worse and worse. So, again, I just want to reiterate good quality parts is one reason to use them. Guy asked me one time, I said, why do you only use OEM parts? I said, well, I don't only use OEM parts. I primarily use OEM parts because they're normally the best. In some cases, there are parts better than OEM, and I sure. use those. Right. But to answer your question, I can't afford to use cheap parts. He said, what do you mean? I said, I just can't afford it because when something comes back to me, I've got to pay a man to change it again. Right. I've got a mad customer. Plus, Not I'm losing the opportunity to serve to someone else, else in a time that I'm fixing this one again for the second time. For- so. I just can't afford to use cheap parts. I have to use a quality part that's going to get this car fixed. I'm relying on referrals to keep my base full. Sure. And if this guy has to come back four times to get the same problem fixed, he's probably not going to refer me to anyone. <laughs> exactly, whether it's a parts problem or anything else. Well, yeah, because all he looks at is i got to keep coming back. Car's he doesn't broke. Look, yeah, car's broke. He doesn't say, well, it's not Lewis's fault. He didn't make the part. Right. He just say, hey, he hey. put it on there. Car's broke. Car's broke again. Right. So I just can't afford cheap parts and i really don't think you can either of course if you're a millionaire then it doesn't matter well, if you're a millionaire you throw the car away and go i was gonna say car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah a battery but, goes bad you just go get another car just need another car and if you buy a new car every year you're probably not even gonna have a bad battery exactly you don't keep it long enough to ever have that occur to you <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to our phone lines with al good morning al good morning man good morning yes, got a question for you about a 95 cadillac okay you know what Electric fuel pumps, you don't need turn to accelerate at all. They're pumping instead of the old thing. But now, every now and then, this Cadillac won't start unless I give it some gas. But it's erratic. And with being 95, I've never had a check engine light. Mm-hmm. And I changed fuel filter. Mm-hmm. 
and it's got plenty of pep yeah. out on the road. Yes, sir. It's just that every now and then it won't. I've tried cycling emissions for two or three times. Yeah. That doesn't seem to affect yeah. it one way or yeah. the other. More likely on that one, Al, it's not going to be the fuel pump. It's going to more likely be the fuel pressure regulator because they had a lot, a lot of trouble with that on those cars. And what happens, normally you're going to see that after you have run the car for a while, cut it off, let it sit, and then go back and try to start it. They call it a hard start after a hot soak. That's what I got. Yeah, and mm-hmm. what happens, the fuel pressure regulator leaks slightly, and it leaks. It still regulates the fuel, so it runs fine, but it leaks fuel into the intake manifold. When the engine's not running. When the engine's not running. So it kind of floods the engine. Now, what happens if you hold the accelerator to the floor and crank it, it allows more air to get in there, so it'll kind of clear the flood somewhat. So that's why that maybe helps, because all you're doing when you're pumping the accelerator is just opening and closing an air valve. But if the engine's flooded and you hold the air valve open, well, then more air can go in, so it'll clear the flood a little better than uh-huh. if it doesn't. But in almost every case on that particular car, now you can't apply that to every car across the board, but on those Cadillacs in that year model, they had a lot of trouble with that. And in almost every case, that's going to be what the issue is, particularly if you got, like I said, the hard start after a hot soak. And well, that's it. First thing in the morning, it fires right up. Right, yeah. because it's cleared itself. See, it sat yeah. there all night, so whatever leaked in, it evaporated out. So uh-huh. when you hit the switch and the fuel pump runs, it charges the ejectors and the ignition's hot, so wham, it fires right off. Okay. And cycling the key won't help at all because, if anything, it just makes it a little worse. Uh-huh. Whereas, let's say you got the the similar problem where the fuel pump's bleeding back to the tank well now you got no fuel pressure to start the car cycling the switch will make it get pressure up there so it'll go ahead and start uh-huh. so that's a separate issue and i don't want to tell people well this is on everything because people hear one thing they want to apply it across the board but on that car that was a common issue with that fuel pressure regulator i would almost bet you that's what you got on and again you'd have to have a fuel pressure gauge on the car and what you can do is cut the key off, see if the pressure is degrading, and you turn the key back on, it immediately rises. Well, and we know it's leaking down somewhere, and uh-huh. the most likely part is that. You might look, Al, one thing you might be able to check yourself is that you can pull the little vacuum line off that fuel pressure regulator, uh-huh. shake it out real good, and see if any gasoline comes out of that vacuum line. Okay. If any gas is in that vacuum line, then that's the problem. Yeah, because that should have no fuel in it. It's a rubber diaphragm. That vacuum works a rubber diaphragm, which controls fuel pressure at the rail. Right. Huh. Okay, any chance I'm going to get stranded? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it can oh, rupture okay. the diaphragm, spray gas all the time, the motor set the car on fire. So, yeah, it's oh, not something you want to okay. keep, keep going with. All right, you got my attention now. Look, I appreciate it. <laughs> all, right. all right, sir. All right, Al, thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Jake online. Good morning, Jake. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Well, I'll tell you what. I've got a uh, situation. My wife just called me. She was a beautiful day. She wanted to go wash her car. Uh Uh-huh. Got a 2005 GMC Denali, mm-hmm. one of the Yukon XL. It's got all the electricals and everything in it. Yes, sir. Apparently, her sunroof wasn't closed all the way, and she went through one of these car washes. Uh-huh. She says she's got water coming out of everywhere right oh, yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Preventative-wise, so it doesn't burn DVD player or anything else. Right. Like that up. What needs to happen right now? Well, Jake, it's kind of difficult. What you might could do, get in there or get someone in there with a wet and dry vac first. Vacuum out all that you can get out of it. The next thing, if you can get some kind of a big fan, hold all your doors open. On a day like today is ideal because it's low humidity and it's a great sunny day out. 
open all doors and put that big fan, let it blow through, and maybe leave the car all day just letting that air circulate through. Chances are if it's a one-time thing, it's fresh water, it should evaporate out, and that should be all that you have to do. Now, if it continues to go on, it soaks in all the carpeting and all that. Now it gets much, much more difficult. You have to remove the seats, remove the carpeting and all that. But under the situation that you got where it's a one-time shot, I think if you can get a wet and dry vac, suck out as much as you can, maybe take some towels, blot it out real good, Get a big fan, let it blow through, open the lift gate in the back, open all the doors. Leave it out in the sun. Let it sit out in the sun with a fan blowing through it. I think you can clean that up and dry it up within a day. Awesome, man. All right. Well, I do appreciate that, Lewis. All right, man. We appreciate you, Kyle. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Perry, I am sorry I cut you off. If you call right back, I'll put you straight up to the top of the list. Going back to our phone lines with Ann. Good morning, Ann. Yes, good morning, Lewis and Brian. I have a 2006 Honda Odyssey, Mm -hmm. and when it first started giving problems, it would actually, I would be on the road at a normal rate of speed, and it would slowly lose acceleration and just die out. And now, it really won't do that at all. Now, you start it up, and it sounds like it's trying to start, but then it just turns off. But okay. if you turn the key a second time, it won't even do that. The second time, it just floods out. It sounds like an old-time carburetor flooding out. Yeah, the first thing that you need to do, Ann, before you do anything else or even spend a penny on it, is have someone run a fuel pressure test on the car. Okay. And a fuel pressure test is going to tell you a critical piece of information. Do you have fuel pressure? Yes, no. Now, if the answer is no, then we're into the fuel pump not pumping enough pressure it could be something like a relay that's bad it could be the fuel pump itself that's bad it could be the theft (laughs) system shutting the Mm -hmm. fuel pump down i mean all sorts of things but at least you know the area to go to if the fuel pressure is good we can forget every bit of that and move on to the ignition side of the equation so the point Mm -hmm. is there's literally thousands of things that can cause this type of thing to happen anything from a bad computer to bad sensor shorted out we could spend an inordinate amount of money just change. Let's try this. Let's try this. Somebody said it's this. Well, somebody said, mm-hmm. It can be all kinds of things. The point is a very inexpensive and very quick test can tell you decisively, okay, it's either this or this. And then you got two little routes to go. So the car doesn't start at all now. No, it'll start, you know, for two seconds and turn off. Yeah, and see, that's actually a pretty good situation to have because it means it's going to be really, a dead man's really easy to diagnose. See, it could be something like the theft system is armed on it and it's shutting the fuel pump down. That would be one possibility. So you're Mm -hmm. going to need to tow that to someone who can test it for you. And what you want to do is get to a good shop with a diagnostic culture and the uh-huh. way you can always tell those is when you call, they're not going to start quoting prices. They're not going to start telling you is maybe it's this, maybe it's that. What they're going to do is say, we're going to run this test, we're going to run this test, we're going to run this test. We charge this much per hour in one-tenth of an hour increments. It's going to take an hour or less to di- diagnose this problem. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of shop you need to get it to. That problem would probably take an hour or less to diagnose. And that way, you know exactly what it is. You're not spending money on stuff you don't need. Okay, yeah, you're right. I've had people say this oh, yeah. sensor, that sensor. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. again, you can go on the Internet and find all kinds. I mean, you will run out of money before you run out of maybes yeah. and probably never hit the problem. So it's just going to need to get to somebody who knows what they're doing. I mean, a record bill is not that much, under 100 bucks, probably another 100 bucks to get it diagnosed, and that way you know exactly what it is. You're not wasting hundreds and hundreds on unnecessary stuff, and you got the problem fixed. You're back on the road. Okay. All right. That's what I'll do. Start with the fuel press. Yes, ma'am. That'd be the first test you want to run. All righty. 
Thank you. Thank yes, you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we've got Perry online. Sorry for cutting you off earlier, Perry. Oh, nothing to it. Glad y'all back on the radio, Lewis. Good, thank you. Let me ask you something. I got a 98 Jimmy, okay. 4.3 liter, mm-hmm. that spider fuel injection. Uh-huh. The old motor runs like a top, starts easy, mm-hmm. but if I'm idling, uh-huh. like at a red light or something, it'll die out. It's easy to start back up, but it, it does that almost every time. Perry, if you hold your foot slightly on the gas, can you keep it running? Yeah. Okay, and what year model was it? A 98. 98. That's probably going to have an idle air control valve yeah. on that one. That was before the, the electric throttle bodies. Most likely cause that would be the idle control valve is stuck on okay. it. It's, and that's okay. fairly well, easy to change and fairly inexpensive. Kind of a, a quick, oh. kind of a quick test. You can actually go out there and get it idling. And take a like a screwdriver handle mm-hmm. and tap on that idle air motor, and it should change the way it idles. If it kind of starts jumps dying up or out or, down down or dies, okay. you know you've narrowed it down mm-hmm. to the. the and, and, uh, I mean, it's possible that, can, that the drivers in the PCM are going bad and it's not driving it, but more likely it's going to be that idle. That was pretty. They were pretty chaotic. to go out, and that's right by the carburetor. There? Well, on the throttle well, body, screws in the side of the throttle body, right? Little okay. silver little cylinder with a wire oh, okay. plug into it, right? All right. All right. And another thing, okay. put your defroster on. It barely comes out the uh, defrost register. Mm-hmm. It looks like more of it comes out of the dash registers, which you reckon that could be. That yeah, one that's going to be vacuum. Yeah, one of the actuators is not up. Op- All the other functions work okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I was going to say, if, if nothing worked as well as it should, you probably have a lack of vacuum going into it, and that would be one possibility. But most likely, one of the vacuum actuators, one of the actuators under the dash, may have a pinhole in it or something, and it's oh, okay. not sucking down as well as it should. Right. It's not closing the door like it should or, all the way. The door could have actually broken. Right. I've seen not, that before. You know, it's moving partially, oh, okay. but not fully. And you have to tear that whole box down. A, good, a good bit of the dash has to yeah. come out. I don't think yeah. all of it, but, yeah. but part of the dash has to come okay. out. All right, well, man. I really appreciate y'all help this morning. All right, Paris, thanks for calling, man. All right, bye. Have bye. A good day. Uh-huh. All right, we're gonna take our last quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final section of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got my lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by our side. I see we're getting close on the clock, but I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and get some more people listening and use your favorite broadcast service. Well, that's right. If you go in and give us a written review, be it iHeart or iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, they use those reviews 
to determine who they're going to put closer to the top of the listing. So when someone types in auto repair, it's going to bring up all the shows on auto repair, which there's lots of them out there. And some of them are really, really good. Of course, we think ours is the best. Of course. <laughs> I'm sure they think ours is the best. <laughs> but the more written reviews you have, the more likely they're going to move you up closer. So more people are going to see your show, and so more people are going to click on it. And that's how we build the show, and that's what allows us to keep on coming to you week after week after week that's it yeah you know, we don't get any reviews and they move us to the bottom of the list they're gonna <laughs> boot us off the station and, oh, that, that's it no more radio shows no more automotive hour <laughs> and that would be a tragedy so. that it would hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend